Hello, this is Glenda Taylor. Welcome to the One and All Wisdom Podcast. As you know, on this podcast, I explore all sorts of things. It may be poetry or philosophy, history or psychology, or just plain fun. So today, because there are so many serious and challenging things demanding our attention lately, I decided to share with you this brief, uncomplicated reminiscence about something that happened for me today and what it means to me because of my own history. Seventy-four years ago, when I had just turned eight years old, my mother married my stepfather. He had been her sweetheart when they were teenagers, and then life had intervened. Her family had moved on. The Great Depression happened. My mother married someone else, and I was born, and shortly thereafter my father died. And then the Second World War came and went, and much more happened. Finally, in 1947, my mother and stepfather married and started a new life together, and I, age eight, was with them. The big changes began on a long drive that took us from the bustling town where my mother and I had lived to a place out in the country where my stepfather lived, far, far away or so it seemed to me as a child. It was actually only a few hours away. But it was a great change for me, far out into the deep woods and boggy swamps of the big thicket on the Texas side of the Louisiana-Texas border. Not even a village, hardly a settlement, houses spread out miles from each other. This was where we were to live, with my stepfather's mother, in a rambling old frame shotgun house, as such structures were called back then, because those houses had a wide-open hallway right down the center of the building, as though a shotgun had been blasted through the middle, I guess. This was practical so that air could circulate better in the sweltering heat of summer. There was no electricity available, let alone air conditioning, so that open hallway was the air conditioning. We were to live there with my stepfather's mother, at least until my stepfather, with the help of his four brothers, could build us a house. That took about a year, starting with clearing a building site out of the underbrush and tangled vines and briars and trees that grew there, then getting the building materials hauled in, paid for out of the money my stepfather had saved up while he was in the Army during the Second World War. Then the bustle and activity as the work began. Those five brothers working side by side, laughing and jostling and gently arguing, occasionally cursing when a hammer missed its target, and probably just celebrating that all of them had come home from that awful war, more or less intact. The tools they used to build this new little frame house were just handsaws and hammers and such, no power tools as again there was not yet electricity in that part of the world. The REA wouldn't bring electricity to that rural area for several more years. Now the home site my stepfather had chosen was bounded on all sides by land owned by a timber company, and so it was all dense woods around us. 
but a few hundred feet off to one side of the slowly rising house was a little low place that stayed wet most of the time, not deep enough to be called a pond, not swampy enough to be a slough, just a sort of wash, a little seasonal stream. Out of this often muddy, wet place grew hundreds, maybe thousands, of wild Louisiana iris plants, all bunched together there. And in that spring, when they were building our new house, and every spring thereafter, those iris plants were abloom with beautiful, soft, violet-colored iris. I thought our new home was in a magical and beautiful place because of those blooming iris. Later on, when our house was completed, I could sit on the front porch swing every spring and look over at all those wild iris, and I thought they bloomed sort of especially for me because they always seemed to bloom right around my birthday. Years later, when I first came to Earth Springs and spotted a similar low spot on this land where I live now, I went back to the old home place, my stepfather and my mother both gone, and I brought back two or three of those iris plants out of that bog, and I planted them in a low spot at Earth Springs in front of what is now the Medicine Lodge here. And by now, nearly 40 years later, there are hundreds, maybe thousands, of those iris plants right here. And today, for the first time this spring, they have begun to bloom a bit earlier than usual. I wonder if this portends an earlier summer. But anyway, this morning, I stood near those delicate, softly vibrant, blooming iris. And somehow, time and space blurred, and I was everywhere at once. I was an eight-year-old walking the balance beam of the foundation of our new home, handing nails to an overalled uncle. And I was also sitting on the front porch swing, my foot resting gently on our old dog, looking out at the dense woods and those wild iris. And I was wading out into the bog, digging up starts of those iris and then passing them on to others or carrying them off myself to Colorado or California or wherever I was living at the time. And I was remembering a couple of years ago here during a music retreat when there had been a big rain and the frog chorus coming from the iris bog was so loud that Michael, delighted, was compelled to record it and add it to the electronic music mix he played for us later. And on and on. Always, though, the iris blooms connect me to my mother, my stepfather, and myself, myself of all ages. The rains and the moles and gophers and Mother Nature's mysterious ways have have multiplied and moved those iris plants from where I started them here, moved them down and about here and there along the little seasonal trickle that is not really a stream, but that travels from near the lodge to out in front of the house and down toward the bunkhouse. Of course, the irises don't bloom so well under the shade of the dense overhead foliage, the pines and oaks and sweet gum and cedar and so on. But still, those iris bulbs keep moving somehow, keep moving downhill 
until again they find a new place in the sun where conditions are right for them to bloom. I hope I've been like that too, moved about to be sure, sometimes shadowed by circumstances, but always moving toward the light that allows me to be my blooming best self. All this rests gently in my heart this morning as I stood and looked at those first iris blooms of this year. My granddaughter stood here with me a few weeks ago, and I told her stories about the iris, as well as about the wild woods violets that grow and bloom, too, at this time of year, and about how my stepfather, so shy and reserved with his emotions, would come home from a walk in the woods with a fistful of the little violets and hand them to my mother, and her eyes would well with tears both of them returning in memory, no doubt, to those days long ago when the two of them had been young sweethearts. In my own young years, I roamed around in those woods a lot myself, and I too brought home to my mother violets and also arms full of the wild azaleas and honeysuckle and yellow jasmine and trumpet vine and every other thing that bloomed in the woods near our home. The wild azaleas were amazing. We called them honeysuckles, and their blooms were more like large honeysuckles than azaleas, but they grew like azaleas do on bushes rather than vines. Back then, those wild ones, pale pink in color when they bloom, grew on bushes taller than my head in clumps and masses of bushes that spread out many feet across. I could pick all the blooms I wanted, and there would still be many, many more left on the bushes for the bees and butterflies and other people to enjoy. The fragrance when they bloomed was delicious, intoxicating. I loved those blooms as much as I did the iris and the violets. When I moved away from home to go off to be the first one in my family to go to college, when I moved to live in Washington, D.C. and Colorado and California, my mother, every springtime, would send me by mail a box full of those pink wild azalea blooms from the woods, blooms that she would have somebody pick for her. The box would arrive wherever I was living far away from her, and the sweet, unique fragrance would still be in there, even if the blooms were faded and I would weep with remembrance and delight and gratitude. I'm passing these stories on to my grandchildren, like Mother Nature is passing those iris bulbs on, multiplying them and keeping them moving so that the beauty stays alive and our love for the earth and for her beauty and abundance continues to flourish among my people. So now I've passed it on to you, here in this podcast. I hope my remembrances brighten your day a bit as those irises have brightened mine. You'll find pictures of the flowers I mentioned on our website, oneandallwisdom.com, where I put them today. I encourage you to give a few moments today to thinking about your own timeless memories, those things that stay with you and stay with you and are always so meaningful and lovely, and to be cherished. This seems like a good time to draw on the strength of all that. This is 
Glenda Taylor on the One and All Wisdom podcast. Join me on the website, oneandallwisdom.com. Until next time.